Hello everyone and welcome to the Panelized Prefab Kit Home Building Show. With me in the studio as always is the president and founder of Landmark Home and Land Company, a company which has been helping people build new homes where they want, exactly as they want, across the nation and worldwide since 1993, Mr. Steve Tuma. Steve, how you doing, buddy? It's an excellent day. Another good day helping customers. And uh, we had a few customers from 10 and 15 years ago get in touch with us this week that wanted to go along and build again, or they had a family member that needed help building a home. So, uh, well, that's got to be exciting. That's very uh, cool. it's, it's a great feeling to think that they people remember you 10 and 15 years ago but i guess you know it's a big thing building a house so people remember we helped them out that's right <laughs> when i go buy a pair of jeans i usually go back to the same store if i liked the jeans yeah well. so <laughs> i thought uh today we might um uh, i think it was the last episode we were we were having some fun with just some uh some weird requests or, or not weird but just kind of uh uh, off-the-wall requests for design, uh, um, some sort of uh, uh, design variations on plans. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was a fun one. I liked that a lot. So I thought today we might, um, I don't know, just, just go through some of your past experiences with customers and situations where, where, you've, helped, uh, where you've helped landmark home builders um, through let's say uh specialty use homes you know uh like a guy that has a huge car collection uh we talked a little bit about, about craft rooms and gaming and home theaters and um but i'd like to talk today about some of the other design things that would take in sort of you know like uh taking advantage of the views of the property that somebody might be building on things like that and uh you know we'll, we'll talk a little bit about controlling the budget and uh when you run out of money which i'm sure you run into that a lot with customers <laughs> so let's uh let's start with that and talk about uh some of the um some of the experiences you've had working with customers in specialty situations yeah so because every project is different you know where they build is different um just different site conditions, different design requests that customers have, different budget situations. Mm -hmm. Like you brought up, you know, how do people stay within a budget and control it so that they don't get into problems? And that that's where we're able to help at Landmark because mm -hmm. that that's an important part. It's not just the excitement of designing the home, mm -hmm. but it's making sure it works so that your family enjoys it, it fits on the land, you get permits, but also make sure that, you know, the wallet is happy with it at the same time. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, initially you brought up different, like, you know, special design things. And we're, we're running into uh, a lot of customers that have special uh, requests for the design. We're able to take care of all of them. But sometimes families are condensing homes. You mm -hmm. know, the in-laws or grandparents are moving in mm -hmm. uh, to make for a better lifestyle. The grandparents can babysit the kids, allowing the, you know, center generation to you know, go out and do things. And it, it, it also the kids being around helps the activity of the grandparents. So mm -hmm. uh, we've had situations where houses are sometimes built as one family unit, but you could kind of see two distinct living areas. Mm -hmm. You know, we're working with a family in Pennsylvania and there's kind of two, two families, the, the grandparents and then the parents with the kids. So it almost looks like two ranch homes that are put together with a big common central area, mm -hmm. but each end of the home is or like its own uh, own suite. So there's situations like that where just people's lifestyles 
budgets, um, whatever needs they are, medical help, whatever it is, they, they would like a certain type of home. And then there's other situations where people uh, have hobbies. We're running into a lot of, you know, quote, car guys, where they have car collections or they mm -hmm. like to work on cars. Um, other people are into craft rooms. Um, home offices are becoming more and more important for millennials yeah. or even or even people that can telecommute with you know with the strength of the internet these days right, right. they're we're able to to do that so it's pretty cool to be able to work through and figure out what really enhances the design of the home so people get the best value um you know in the home and and makes it worth the value we, we believe people should drive up to their home and be proud of it and say wow this is cool i I have the home theater I want, or, or family's bunch of movie buffs, or hey, we like to cook, the kitchen is really laid out right. Or, or dad wants a man cave. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's more and more man caves, and also lady caves showing up, lady too. Lady caves, right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so there's there's a lot of, of that, and that's, that's the cool thing, is that we're not stuck using a standard plan. If, yeah. if someone wants to do it, it's, you know, we, we can adjust the plan. To, to exactly how they want it, which enhances the lifestyle. Yeah, I'm actually, I, I actually know a woman right now who's just built a uh, sort of her own woodworking shed. And so, you know, we can't get locked into that where it's always the man who's looking for that. There's a lot of women out there who are, are building shops and things like that. It's it's pretty cool. Well, what what's the interesting portion about this is sometimes, you know, they figure, hey, it's the guy thing to have a, a classic car and go out and shine it, but mm -hmm. it's, it's you know, the whole family jumps in that convertible when they go to the ice cream stand. Right. Yeah. So so it, it allows the family to go have fun, you know, learn different things and, you know, kind of eliminate some screen time and, and, and go do different things. Um, there's, there's uh, yeah, gaming is becoming a good thing. A lot of people are using it for stress relief. Some people just enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Home theaters, you know, with with the cost of going out to movies, it's expensive. And now with all the different streaming services and stuff, we can uh, we can design rooms so that people can can enjoy, um, you know, entertainment at the at their house. Mm -hmm. And that that's the key thing. Is, I, you know, I actually saw um, some online magazine. I was looking at it. People that are building little mini ballrooms in their house with the wood dance floor and a little stage and they bring in DJs. That's some entertainment uh, value oh, there. We're, we're seeing people that are doing that, especially with walkout basements, more, you know, mountain areas or lake areas where mm -hmm. it's becoming the, uh, the recreational spot. So instead of just having a walkout basement, you know, the cement walls with, you know, your bike in there, they're, mm -hmm. they're bars, eating areas, sitting areas, additional uh, spaces for big family get-togethers. We've had a few families do that where, you know, if they have 15, 20 people coming over for the holiday, they're in a basement in a big kind of luxury, mm -hmm. you know, banquet area. I like I liked what you said about, you know, the parents and grandparents. Uh, I, have a, I have a friend, she, uh, no one else in the family was really willing to do it. So she took on the uh, the task of moving her her grandfather in and with her and her her two grown kids and they're the ones taking care of them and she she was telling me about how she's kind of had to rearrange and adapt the house because he is a man and he's 
he's 90, but he's still a guy, you know, and he has certain things that he yeah. wants. And, and I can see how people might just build a house specifically with the thought that, you know, we're all living a little longer now that maybe, uh, maybe instead of putting a grandpa or grandma in, uh, in a home, we, we bring them to our home. And if you've got the right house for it, that's great. Yeah, and that that's uh that's what we're able to do. A funny one. This this will make you know all the guys laugh. Sometimes there's a wood shop or a man cave. They'll actually ask for a urinal. Instead oh, of a, yeah. you know, that would be great. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's kind of funny. So, <laughs> I mean, the the point is that everyone kind of chuckles when I say that, but oh. in a sense, doesn't that make sense? No, oh, that would be great to have a man cave with a urinal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so there's there's a lot of. Uh, there's a lot of little details that can be put into it and it doesn't necessarily have to cost more. It's mm-hmm. just a situation of, you know, a conversation. What does your family do? Mm-hmm. You know, does, does someone work? So they need a separate area, but there's kids and those kids still mm-hmm. need a different area that, uh, you know, where it might be a little noisier. So do we have to do things with soundproofing on walls or right. just put the room on the other side of the house or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the home offices are becoming more and more popular and they, sometimes they need separate entrances mm-hmm. or distinct separate areas. Um, every, a lot of people talk about the guy in the home office, you know, he's getting up and working in his pajamas until two in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. A lot of the customers actually tell me they get up just as if they were going to the office. That's... They get up, take a shower, <laughs> wear a suit and go right into their home office. Just the formality of I'm at work. So yeah. I don't see anything wrong with it myself. I don't do it, but I see nothing wrong with it. Yeah. So it's uh that that's the the point is we we can customize it for what your priorities are, mm-hmm. and and like I say, it doesn't always have to cost more to to make a to make a separate office with its own separate exterior entry isn't mm-hmm. a big deal. You right. Had a, you had a door. Yeah. You know. So it's a it it's a pretty cool scenario. I am. Um... Something we hit upon, and I, I've written it down, I keep forgetting to bring it up again because we didn't really expand on it enough, but um, a lot of times people will will buy a property because of the view, and then I would imagine that some customers uh, come to you and say, well, now we've got it, but what design can we put together that will take advantage of that that view? And maybe they love the view, but unfortunately, the way they have to build, the way the land is, they're facing the wrong way. How do you uh, take? How do you take care of issues like that? Well, it's pretty interesting because the majority of the time, most people will be like, "Hey, we we've got an idea. We want a chalet design overlooking a, a mountain, or mm-hmm. or hey, we we want a ranch home, but we want one side of the house just to have a lot of glass walls, so we can sit in there, you know, look at the fireplace and look at the glass and." you know, see a, a beautiful view of a lake or a mountain or open prairie or, or whatever it is. So the concept of what they want to look at, they, they kind of understand. It's it's how do we take advantage of that? Mm-hmm. Because a lot of people will think, well, just put big windows and face them at what you want to look at. Well, right. it's true, but a lot of that is also affected by the roof structure mm-hmm. and, you know, some structural components because there's different ways of fitting different windows into space and depending upon where you're doing it if it's a place with a lot of engineering requirements earthquakes snow loads high wind speeds you know like hurricane areas you you can accomplish that but it can end up costing a lot more Mm -hmm. so that's where we can come into it is go through and figure hey a family wants a big picture window here but they're on key west facing south Mm -hmm. you know the the structure of that home might be a little different than if someone said hey I'm in the open prairie in the Midwest, and I just want to view these expansive sunsets. 
they may ha they may have a different design so we're able to work with them to to get the end result and then design and engineer the structure at the affordable price point so that they're ending up being able to take advantage of the view mm -hmm. generally this is kind of funny but it's extremely true people want to take advantage of their view more than they want to pay for an expensive roof mm -hmm. so if we can do certain things to in in roof design to allow for a bigger open space for bigger windows that's something that that we can provide so sometimes that taking advantage of that better view doesn't necessarily have to cost you more mm. Well, that's but that's something you really have to hit early on in the process, right? I mean, that that has to be talked out a lot, right? It it does, and I I think somewhere we're probably going to talk about that view and how it affects energy codes mm -hmm. as well, because um, say say you're in a place that has very tight energy calculation requirements, mm -hmm. like parts of Colorado, like all of California, mm -hmm. is if you have a glass wall facing south that glass just magnifies the heat going into your house mm -hmm. so your, your air conditioning system um, might need to be a little different so there's a uh, situations and i go back to the roof different overhangs orientation of the home orientation of the windows insulation around the home in general where we can uh where we can work with that so mm -hmm. the the initial idea is hey how do how do we get the view in the other one is how do we make sure it's an affordable and, and, and passes the codes? You're right. Um, we hit on earlier a little bit just uh, in this podcast um, about uh, designing for a budget. And um, like I said, people, I'm sure, get to a point where they've planned uh, poorly and uh, ran out of money. And I'm sure that's something that Landmark is really good at at kind of helping to control that early in the process. But um, right. what uh, what kind of situations have you run into when working with people who have uh you know they just have an, a finite budget well it's interesting because in tw and since 1993 about 25 years we've only had one or two customers that don't care if it goes over a million you know <laughs> hey if it adds another million it's not a big deal All right so generally what you know no matter how many zeros there are in your budget or how many digits there's always a restriction so if you're spending a hundred thousand or five million it's the same problem. Your mm -hmm. eyes are bigger than, than the wallet want, wants to go. Mm -hmm. So what we always suggest is people have to really kind of just be honest with themselves. Because the over-budget situation, from my, what I have seen, is generally taken from people's changes. Mm -hmm. So they fall in love with the house. They see the house going up, and then they're like, oh, honey, let's put that hot tub oh, on the back right. deck. Oh, yeah, let's yeah. extend the deck. Let's do this. Oh, we'll find that extra 10000 well, mm. I, my opinion is just design it right up front. And if you have an extra 10000 to spend, be honest with yourself. Are you going to spend it or would you rather not? Right. Because it's the changes during the building phase that can create the issue. If someone has a properly designed home with an accurate set of plans, which is what we supply, they can take those plans and go get the cost estimates. Mm -hmm. So... People that run into problems just say, well, I talked to my friend. He's a concrete guy. You know, he's on my bowling team, and he told me a foundation's 30000 mm -hmm. So they write that number down and think they've done a good job. We say, well, that's great. Maybe your friend does know the cost, but isn't it better for him to look at the land and see your foundation plan 
to determine the cost. Right, right. So he may go out and go, oh, you're right, it is 30000 Or he may say, hey, I didn't know you were on a slope on the side of a hill. <laughs> and this and this and that and all these other things. Maybe it's 34000 mm. So it, the budgeting situation really comes down to, you know, keeping tabs on yourself so that you draw a set of plans for a house that you're happy with and then stay with that happy house. Mm-hmm. And and move forward. And, you know, I jokingly tell people, turn your TV off. Don't watch any more of these renovation shows and all these <laughs> all these great things. Because, you know, those, those are all there by, by people selling products. And they make it sound like it's just so cheap to, you know, put an airplane hanger on the back of your house right. and, and do all these things. So, <laughs> you know, generally those, those are high dollar projects. But you, you've got to be realistic with yourself. Right. Um, to, to go through and make sure that... You're, you're shooting for, for an accurate uh, situation. So when people go through and are honest with themselves and do the proper budgeting, design the house the way they want it to be, those issues are, are avoided. Mm-hmm. So that that's what we tell people. I, I always say it's doing your homework up front. Right. Let's do all the things that can change on paper. It's easy to change something on paper. It's very hard and expensive once the house is up. So mm-hmm. take the time to be honest with yourself and say, yes, we do want a fireplace or yes, we do want a deck or do we need a two car garage or a three car garage? Or do we need to have gold faucets or can we use Chrome ones? Mm-hmm. Th- th- that's, those are the details that have to be uh, kind, kind of worked out. And at a certain point, you just got to say, Hey, the Chrome ones are beautiful. They're timeless. They're going to look good in two years and 10 years and 20 years. It's mm-hmm. the standard one. That's the one to go. So we don't end up paying for things two and three times. Yeah, that makes sense. Speaking of things that would be real expensive to change after the fact, <laughs> let's talk about some uh, some customer sort of um, questions about, uh, you know, when, you, when you're excavating for a foundation and maybe the soil conditions aren't great, things like that. That's a, that's a problem you definitely have to start early, I would imagine. Yes, and that, and my own projects, I've found that things that can affect your budget that are kind of those uh-oh moments. Mm-hmm. In my experience, from the projects I've done myself, they've had to do with ground mm-hmm. because you you can't just walk in a piece of dirt and look at it and go, "Hey, I could tell you what's four feet down." Mm-hmm. So let let me tell you some extreme situations. I, I wouldn't think most people are going to run into it. But it's, it's the extreme story for people to understand. The value of knowing what you're building on. Mm-hmm. So some people go through and say, oh, you know, my, my grandfather had this land for 100 years. You know, nothing's happened. Nothing's changed to it. Well, over the course of time, people have filled wetlands in to uh, make more mm-hmm. agricultural land. Well, you know, when America was 95% farmers... Mm-hmm. They needed land. Well, now it's flipped to where there's 5 or 10% farmers. So the land is going from being a wetland or whatever it may be to farming land to now uh, land for homes right. and, and home developments. So we had a customer. Um, we always tell people, check their soils out. He was in southern Illinois in a, in a, in a rural area, and he wanted a crawl space. I told him, check the, the situation. You're in agricultural land. Who knows what happened 100 years ago, 150 years ago. Well, he wanted a crawl space. So in that area, you dig down three, four feet, you put a foundation in. He ran into muck. Mm-hmm. 
what happened is someone way back filled in a pond. <laughs> so you you and I know that if you walk to the edge of a pond, you'll sink. There's just muck, you know, rotted leaves, dirt, stuff like that. So you take a regular 150 or 200 pound person, you sink in that muck. So what happened is the people, someone way back, filled the pond in. You know, they don't go tell anyone, much sure. less does the story transfer on for 100 years. Yeah, it could have been decades ago. Yeah, they, they, they dig the hole, and right where the footers are going to be is where the bottom of this pond was. Right. It was all muck. Huh. The person ended up with a 12-foot-tall basement wall uh, uh. by the time they were able to dig to the bottom of the muck. Right. Now, what's interesting about this is a soil test before that, couple hundred bucks someone could have taken a boring to find out mm. now the interesting thing is this is more of an extreme story and most building departments don't require stuff like this so they they uh um they say oh you don't need it you know the land's the same just just do this but ultimately it is your responsibility to know what what the ground conditions are mm-hmm. and and that's 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 it and sometimes people say well we took a soil test 300 feet over there it's the same here well soil can change in a foot mm. so we we always suggest checking that we we had another situation a very nice family building in Colorado they uh they went out they had a a test done, and then they decided to move their house 200 feet. We suggested take your test again, and well, mm-hmm. when they got to that point, they dug down a, a foot, and they hit granite. Uh, right. So we had to re-engineer. They had to get rid of some granite. We had to make this stuff go. They got through the issue. The point is it would have been nice to know about that up front. So that what I what I always suggest to people is, is understand what's what your where your ground conditions are. It can affect your your excavation, your ability to have a basement, cross base or slab. It can also affect um, your septic systems. It can affect the use of your land. You know, you don't want to put your house in a drainage area. You know, someone might say, Oh, it hasn't flooded here in ten years. Well, all you need to do is watch the news to know that, you know, there's <laughs> there's a hundred year flood every five years in certain parts of the country. So we always say, you know, sit back and take a look at what's there. And if you need it, hire a civil engineer or mm-hmm. soil scientist to, to check it out. Now, the situations that I brought up to you are more on the extreme side. It doesn't happen to everyone. It's pretty rare. It's probably one, two, three percent of the people that run into an odd situation. I'm just saying that, you know, it's something to consider. Mm-hmm. So, well, yeah. And, and consider early, it would sound like. <laughs> right. Um, Let's uh, you know. Let's talk about the uh, the environment of the land you're building on, and I don't mean environmental. I mean the your neighbors. Let's say you're building in a neighborhood, and uh, I'm sure there are a lot of uh, restrictions on your lot, height restrictions and calculations that you like. You know, somebody's got a a ranch home, and you come in and build a three story monstrosity, and it cuts out all their light. Um, I'm sure there are there are restrictions and rules to all of that. Yes, there are. It's it's the enforcement of it. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, the, the simple one that's easy for people to understand are height restrictions. Generally, in communities, there'll there'll be a, a height restriction: twenty five feet, thirty feet, thirty five feet. Mm-hmm. And they may calculate to the peak of the house. They might calculate to the average of the the bottom eave and the peak there there's a variety of different ways that they calculate it 
And then also if you're on the side of a hill, you know, each corner of the house may be at a different elevation, like in the case of a walkout basement on the rear, and then just a, a floor system just a little bit above grade at the front. So how do you calculate that? So we're able to do that. And sometimes people are like, hey, it doesn't matter. No one's around. But there are parts of, uh, you know, very scenic parts of the country where they don't want someone building a big house and blocking the neighbor's view. Sure. It defeats the character of the neighborhood and it devalues someone else's house. So they, they want to make sure that a house is uniform, the neighborhoods are uniform, and some guy doesn't have a 70-story house and everyone else has a, you know, 15-foot-tall uh, house. So they, they want to make sure that there's some, some continuity in there for, for the overall urban planning of the home. We've also run into a few communities, and again, this is the rare thing, but it's an interesting thing of how we've helped people through, where they have light restrictions. Hmm. So, or I shouldn't say, you, you can't create a certain shadow. So they don't want you, if you had a lot, say that was 50 feet, or say 60 feet wide, with 10 foot setbacks on each side, so you have 40 feet to build. They don't want you to build a big block 40 feet wide, 20 feet tall. Mm -hmm. There's restrictions to make sure that light comes into your yard. You know, you're not you're not putting shadows all over your neighbor's yards, all over your neighbor's house, because light and air is, is very important to the, the enjoyment of a community. Mm -hmm. So if you live in one of those communities, we can we can help develop the calculation and the graphical rep representation showing that light passage passes per their requirement. Mm -hmm. um, light light's important. Uh, there's a lot of people oh, that yeah. can that can have uh, you know depression issues if they don't have the right amount of light. And overall, it's shown that light just makes people happier and more enjoyable. Right. Hmm. So, oh, there's another thing I wanted to get into that I had written down here about um, uh, working in a real tight lot. You you've bought a, a, a this uh, place where you want to build your house and. Uh, but it's a pretty tight neighborhood. The houses are close together. Let's talk about retaining wall design and and fitting those into tight lots. And and I, you know, I wouldn't even know where where the footers go. Where do you begin? Well, that that's an interesting one that you bring up because as people you know work on infill lots in cities or different places, they're they're building pretty cool homes. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes they have walkout basements. Sometimes these lots are sloped. So what ends up happening is sometimes to take advantage of a walkout basement or a lookout basement or work around different terrain, they they require a certain amount of uh, retaining walls mm -hmm. to, to hold the soil back so they can have a walkout basement in these urban areas. And what ends up happening is if you have a, a, a skinny lot and you want to basically put a wall right up to the corner, those retaining walls have a footer that may proceed underneath your lot line into your neighbor's oh, yard. Yeah, right. It's kind of an interesting situation that very few people think about. So when we get into designs and in tight lots like that, which are generally closer in city areas, mm -hmm. we've got to look at the design and the big scope to say, hey, what are you doing? Now, if you're just going to put a simple ranch home in there and fall within the setbacks, it's fine. But if you're trying to, you know, work with the grades and different situations to have access around the house for 
walk out basements and things are tight and you do need retaining walls, we have to watch where the footers of the homes go. Mm-hmm. And the, it's not just retaining walls. Some communities do allow you to build right up to the lot line. So the situation that comes in is a basement wall, say it's a, an 8 or 10 inch thick uh, basement wall, that footer at the bottom might be 18 inches, 24 inches. Well, if you're building right on the lot line, that footer is going into your neighbor's yard. Mm-hmm. So there's legal issues and stuff like that. Again, this is very strange, and we're talking today about unique, funky things that have come up and how we've organized and worked through it with our customers. So, again, if someone's working on a tighter lot, generally, you know, in smaller spaces, putting a lot of stuff, there, there's a little more detail work that, that has to go in. And sometimes it's just where do you put the driveway where, where, you know, where are water and sewer connections? Where's the view? Mm-hmm. Sometimes people don't think of it. They're like, hey, I want to put my house, you know, as close to the lot line as possible. And then they realize their bedroom window is looking right into their neighbor's <laughs> bedroom window. <laughs> Maybe that's not what you want. Right. So it, it's good to, to think think those things through. And we're not expecting every customer to know everything about this. And we're bringing ideas up. And when things like that pop up, we'll will jog the idea and say, hey, do you want this? Mm-hmm. Have you considered this? Right. So it's it's pretty cool. But speaking of tight lots, how, how do, uh, in, a, in a tighter space, how do energy calculations um, perhaps restrict your home design or orientation on your lot? Well, sometimes it's, uh, you know, the, the tighter lot could limit the orientation as to how your house can face. Mm-hmm. But also, it's not just the tighter lot, it's the tighter energy calculation requirements that are coming in in certain states. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, some places like, you know, they tighten up a little every year. It's not a huge deal. There's other places where they're, they're uh, getting extremely tight every every year. Mm -hmm. So what we have to do is if you're out in a, in the country, you know, I'm going to tie a few things together. If you have a specific view that you want you know, you, you want your living area to have this great view through big glass windows to, to look at a to look at a mountain range. Mm-hmm. Well, if by chance that mountain range happens to be out of your southern view, like we mentioned before, the sun's going to go in and, and kind of cook that interior of the home. <laughs> right. So sometimes we have to work on adding porches or covered areas to restrict the sun coming in or counteract with a higher efficiency heating and cooling systems, water heating systems, insulation values or shading of certain types to uh to to allow things to work. So, if you're in an area and California is the one that definitely comes to mind where you've got restrictive uh, more restrictive energy calculations, it can affect the orientation of your home. So if if you're building in a uh, a community with smaller lot sizes and you want big glass walls facing south where the southern sun just beams right in your living room, it might be a little bit more work to to design it. We can do it, but people should understand that in certain areas, your your energy calculations might dictate um, some of the design. You might need more area on your roof system for added insulation. You might need, if you're building on a slab, you might have to insulate the slab considerably more. Mm-hmm. There might be geothermal units. There is likely and definitely going to be the use of uh, of solar. 
Mm-hmm. Now, as a little side note, a lot of our customers build in, in the mountains, you know, where they have 100-foot-tall trees that completely block the sun. I don't want to say completely, but they block a considerable sure. amount. Right. And they're pine trees, so the sun doesn't get through. Mm-hmm. The code still dictates you have to have solar panels on your roof <laughs> starting, right. you know, very very soon. So there's a little bit of a oxymoron in the whole situation. But the, those are the, the details that, that we're here. We have the energy code professionals to go through and do it. And by the way, just because your area doesn't dictate stricter energy codes doesn't mean that you can't have an interest and still desire to have a more energy efficient home than uh, than the code requires. So mm-hmm. if you go to certain places in the Midwest or you know generally 70, 80% of the country, their energy codes, they want to know the house passes, but they aren't what I would call stringent. Mm. So if someone wanted to have a house that excelled way beyond it, it's always possible to say, hey, I, I want to do what I can to control the costs. What can we do to upgrade insulation, to have better installation, to verify that the installation is done right, to make sure the mechanical systems are done right? Because just because someone says, you know, I've been a insulation installer for 30 years, that doesn't mean that they know how to use modern insulation and install it properly. Mm-hmm. So there, there's a there's a lot with the energy codes where we can help people. And that's that's a situation where... People are always concerned about their energy bill after they move into it. Mm-hmm. They don't always think about it up front. They look at it as a government regulation hindering them. The reality is it's it, it allows for a, a more comfortable home. Yeah. Here's the thing I was saving for last because you and I have talked about it uh, privately before, never on the podcast, but... Um, I'm sure that customers come to you with this all the time, but what, um, when they, when somebody chooses a design and they come to you, it's not a, not a landmark design, but, uh, from an outside designer and it doesn't get approved. How can you help at that stage? It's very easy for us to help because typically times where people pay for a set of plans and they don't get approved, they've gone to the local guy that's doing it as a side job. And he's more interested in making his few hundred bucks than he is truly knowing structural design, mm-hmm. energy calculations, working with civil engineers, and 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 code issues. So when we get plans like that, and it happens a lot, people innocently work with a friend or whatever and get it. And I don't want to say this. Yeah, and I don't <laughs> want to say that some of these people can't do it, but that's generally the situation. Is mm-hmm. we can go through and work from the point that they're at to go get a set of plans put together so that they can continue on with permitting or if they work with a less sophisticated building department and they've actually obtained permits on plans that aren't detailed enough to know exactly what needs to be built, Mm -hmm. we can go through and and work with it. Again, it's kind of like what I spoke about up front. Do your homework up front. Mm -hmm. The design element engineering element all the details for permitting that's kind of the roadmap to building if you have a bad set of plans up front you will have problems when you're in the building phase because a plumber is going to come back and say hey it's not clear where your toilet is Mm -hmm. suddenly you're out there trying to figure it out a framer is going to come through and say hey it doesn't say if you have a flat ceiling here a cathedral ceiling or a tray ceiling you know or or it doesn't say hey what type of floor system are we using so 
we're believers and do the homework up front, develop the plans accurately, and understand your project. Mm -hmm. So if someone does get stuck or they buy some plans that just don't seem to do the job, we're, we will gladly help them through the process and get it on track. It's easy. We do it every day, you know, developing accurate sets of plans. So mm -hmm. they shouldn't be embarrassed to call. We'll do whatever we can to, to help them. Awesome. Well, uh, this has been a pretty long podcast. We started talking. It seems like it's gone by really fast when I'm looking at the clock. And this... Well, th this is interesting stuff. It's yeah. kind of, you know, just interesting stories mm -hmm. that it's not meant to scare, but it's, it's meant to say, hey, Landmark can help us. Look, yeah. look, look at this. Look at this stuff. I never thought of it. And that that's what we try to do is give our customers an understanding of the project because maybe they've never built before. Maybe they're on their fourth home. There's always new experiences, upgraded codes, different situations where mm -hmm. we can help them. Right. Well, I want to thank everyone for joining us again on the Panelized Prefab Kit Home Building Show. And uh, before we go, of course, as always... Uh, Steve, why don't you let uh, our listeners know how to contact you guys at Landmark Home and Land Company? The quickest way is to take a look at our website, which is lhlc.com. So it's kind of like the initials Landmark Home Land Company, lhlc.com. Mm -hmm. And on there you can see plans. There's different discussions on how we can help with permitting, working in different states, you know, just different ideas. They can also submit a message to us. They can also call at their convenience at 800-830-9788, and they'd work with Mike to go through and have preliminary discussions on what we can do to, to help them. Mm -hmm. They can email Mike at mike at lhlc.com, or I'm also available at landmark at lhlc.com. They can email. We're very responsive, we're knowledgeable, and we're proactive. Um, a lot of our customers say, Steve, without you, you're kind of the engine driving the project because we understand what needs to be done and, and how it needs to be uh, scheduled and worked through. Oh, nice. Well, we are going to wrap it up now. So for Steve Tuma and myself, uh, thanks again, everybody, for joining us on the Panelized Prefab Kit Home Building Show. And um, we will see you next time. Thanks. Happy home building. <laughs>